At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Good morning. Delight to be with you today, and also with those of you who are watching online. We pray that it'll be a blessing today. I'm a big uh, fan of um, Jim and Sarah Dalkey, and so I'm delighted uh, to stand, stand here today while they're in sabbatical and getting rested up a little bit. When, step, when we stepped away from Woodside Troy a, a, boy, a little over two years ago, we began leading a ministry called Barnabas Ministries of, of Michigan. And basically, the purpose statement is to encourage pastors and churches. And this, uh, it's always hard to be a pastor, but with COVID, things just became more and more complicated. I work with uh, hundreds of pastors, and right now, none of the pastors I'm working with have quit. But I can almost guarantee you, most of them have thought about it, that it's just very, very difficult. I came into a mentor meeting here about three months ago, and one of the guys was sharing, and he said, you know, he said, I, there was a, f- a family in our church, he said, I, I uh, married them, I baptized their kids, they're in a, uh, a life group with us, and uh, then also we do vacations together. He said, we're very, very close, and then I just heard they left the church. And they never told me, and I, when I found out the reason, it was because of a, a piece of cloth, a face mask. And so pastors have really, whatever decisions they make, they're not going to please everybody and are certain to irritate some people. May I encourage you to pray for your pastor every day and let him know that. Every once in a while, just send a note, let him know you're praying for him, let him know you're thinking about him, let him know you love him, and uh, he'll be very, very encouraged. You say, well, Pastor Jim probably doesn't need the encouragement. Every pastor does. So if you do that, it'll make a world of difference. This building brings back so many memories. I remember the before Woodside days, and it was always Christmas shop, and there was a big hole in the floor here. Some of you might remember that. Um, and it was retail, and then after Woodside, the renovations, and there's always Christ here. So I'm delighted to be with you today to be a part of the series called Smoke and Mirrors. It's a series that takes us through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to join me there, um, that would be fantastic. It's back in the, where the pages stick together in your Bible. Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look at um, a message today that highlights the fact that we have an all-knowing God. An all-knowing God. Last week we uh, began the series, and the, the series was launched with the pursuit of the author of the book, who I believe to be Solomon, as he was pursuing naturalism, or trying to find meaning in nature. Some of you may remember the name Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a a Holocaust survivor. Uh, He was also an author, Austrian psychiatrist. But he wrote uh, a number of books. Probably his most famous book is Man's Search for Meaning. And Frankel himself had endured so much suffering all of his life and trying to figure out 
what's the meaning to life and what makes sense and he couldn't put it all together and so he processes this and uh, in his book you'll find 50 or 75 famous statements on the meaning of life one of them that you hear most often is we find our meaning in life when we help others find theirs and it was Viktor Frankl who wrote that uh, I remember 1984 anybody else remember that far back 1984 there was a book that came out with, with an intriguing title so I bought it It was written by Daniel Yanklevich and the book was entitled searching for self-fulfillment in a world turned upside down the book became very very well known and he's talking about how do we make sense out of life in 1984 when the world seems to be on its ear well, if 1984 was turned upside down, what is 2021? It's upside down uh, in turmoil, uh, cycling almost out of control. And you say, where is their meaning? Where is the meaning in life? And Solomon, the author, is going to take us on a journey through the experiments in his life where he tried to find meaning. First, last week we looked at naturalism, the first few verses of chapter 1. And this week we look at intellectualism. Intellectualism, or the accumulation of knowledge and wisdom. We can find meaning in life in that. Have you ever dreamed of being a, uh, the Jeopardy winner and having all this knowledge and having all that knowledge of all that money then? Now, how many times have you heard in the last year, we trust science? Anybody heard that? This is not a political statement because every politician probably has used that at some point or another to, to justify uh, their course of action. We trust science. We follow the science. But if, if science says something one day and says something entirely different the next day, don't trust science. Or don't trust the people who are using science to justify their actions. But we love our technology. Remember, we used to go out to eat and you'd, you'd wonder about something. Well, I wonder how, uh, how many gallons of water are in the Lake Huron. And you think, well, when I get home, I'm going to look up in the, my, my Encyclopedia Britannica section. You know, but now you say that, and two or three family members who are having dinner with you will Google it, and within seconds, they'll tell you exactly how many gallons of water are in Lake Huron. So we, we enjoy that. We enjoy the technology. We enjoy the science. We enjoy the knowledge. We enjoy the books. But is there meaning in that? Join me in chapter 1, verse number 12. Perhaps in gaining knowledge we can gain meaning and understanding. Notice verse number 12. Solomon establishes himself here. And he's going to answer the question, or at least ask the question, why does more wisdom lead to more questions? Let me read these verses, starting verse number 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom by all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be, to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. 
and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's go back and look at these verses now in a little bit more detail and try to pick up the structure of his thought process as he's writing this. Solomon is establishing who he is and his credibility. I was king in Jerusalem. Later on he'll say, I I accomplished more than all those in Jerusalem before me, or I had more knowledge than all those in Jerusalem before me. And so this is the starting place. He's searching. Notice what it says. We're going to find here in the structure, verses 13 and 14 is the first set of two reflections that's followed by verse 15, which is a proverb. And then he's going to go to a second set of two reflections, verses 16 and 17, which is also then followed by a proverb. The, the two reflections talk about his, his um, experiment. And so I, I sought after naturalism, this horizontal um, journey to try to find meaning in life through naturalism, through nature. Studying nature, learning from nature, and we can learn a lot from nature. That's fascinating. My wife and I just got back from a week in Colorado. It was absolutely breathtaking. And we can learn from nature. We can learn about God. We can learn about his creativity. We can learn about his power. We can learn about order and design. But nowhere as we study nature can we learn the salvation plan. It's just not there. It doesn't come through general revelation. That comes through special revelation. And so we're limited in trying to find meaning in life by just studying the world around us. Solomon said, let's try another experiment. So he tries tries an experiment of of gaining knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And we read in the book of Proverbs that he was the wisest man who ever lived. But notice his two reflections, starting verse 13. I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom by all that is done under heaven. You'll find that expression, by the way, throughout. Under heaven or under the sun. Uh, All is vanity and vexation of spirit under the... These are horizontal experiments under the sun. And so he said, I'm adding knowledge, I'm adding understanding, I'm adding wisdom. And he's using words that are, are strong words for I applied myself, I searched. In other words, this wasn't a pastime of him, of his... This is what he was about. He wanted to figure this thing out. He was obsessed. And so the first reflection says, I applied my heart to seek, to search out wisdom, uh, out wisdom by all that is done under heaven. But his second reflection, it's an unhappy business because God has given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, God has placed within man a desire to find meaning. And Solomon says, he's given us this task, but this task that we're busy with is is not being fulfilled. We can't figure it out. You ever try to figure out what God is trying to do? We struggle with that all the time, don't we? We, we, uh, uh, A loved one dies at way too early of an age, and we think, I I don't understand it. Um, My wife uh, came down with COVID, with uh, a couple of months ago, 
about the same time my son-in-law, in fact, my son-in-law gave it to our grandkids who gave it to my wife. So we, we share things in our family. But what was amazing is that while we're, we try to be careful, um, my son-in-law was 12 days and he had it really, really bad. My son-in-law is 37-ish in pretty good shape. My wife is not 37, in great shape. You know. <laughs> but when, when Carolyn got COVID, it was, uh, it was just two or three days. It was, uh, it was a speed bump at, at worst. But how do you figure, how do you explain that? And there's so many of these things in life we say that doesn't make sense as we on a horizontal level try to put the facts together and it's not making sense and so that's his reflection there you've god you've given us this desire to find meaning and yet we're wearing ourselves out trying to do it and it's not happening and so he says i've seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and striving after the wind i love the picture there can you see a man just trying to catch the wind, trying to catch and striving after the wind, and he can't do it. It's always elusive, and that's what it is, trying to find meaning out of knowledge. Here he gives a parable, excuse me, a proverb, uh, verse uh, 15. Whatever's crooked cannot be made straight. In other words, there are some things in life that happen that I can't fix. On a horizontal level, as I put the facts and my observations together, I use a scientific method, I can't fix it. I look at all the hypotheses, I put together my solutions, I choose one, and it's not working. He says, secondly, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I can't count what's not there, or I can't count what I cannot see. And so we're so limited because our minds, well, human beings are very sharp and intelligent, and we search for meaning, and God's given us that desire, where animals don't have that desire. He's given us the desire to find out, what does this mean? And yet our minds are too limited to figure it out. I can't count what I cannot see. I can't count what's not there. Thomas Aquinas argued that in the fall of man, the mind of man was not affected by the fall. I'm living proof that the fall of man affected my mind. How about you? You ever go to a room and say, what did I come in here for again? <laughs> I've got a picture of my friend of mine, a friend of mine who was always looking for his pencil only to realize, you know who I'm talking about, the pencil is behind his ear, or he may have one behind each ear as he's doing a project but looking for the pencil. Um, so that's the proverb, or the, the, the proverb is that we can't, we've worked so hard at this, and we can't figure it out. This life's too hard for us. The more questions we have, the more answers we have, the more questions we have. Notice the second set of, of uh, reflections starting in verse 16. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom in surpassing all who were over in Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So he's establishing his credibility again, and he says, I've worked hard at this, and I've been successful at gaining all kinds of knowledge, but it's left me empty. 
in the, the, the double the knowledge curve chart that's been talked about uh, and written a lot about, they said in 1900, knowledge was doubling. There's facts and, and knowledge of facts doubled every 100 years. By the end of World War II, about 1945, 1946, that had gone to 25 years. The knowledge was doubling every 25 years. You feel like you're always, you're working harder, you can't keep up with all that's available. Now they're saying knowledge is doubling every 13 months. And some are suggesting because of the computer and internet, knowledge will come to the place where it will double every 12 minutes. So if you're trying to find meaning in knowledge, good luck, you're not going to get a lot of sleep. And it's going to leave you empty. The second reflection he gives here, he says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to, to know madness and folly and understand the difference between the two. Um, I, I perceive that this also is a striving after the wind. And then he gives a proverb, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And so we have it in this verse that we have the more knowledge we have, the more sorrow we have. The more answers we have, the more questions we have. The harder we work, the more the frustration. Are you thoroughly discouraged this morning? Let me share some good news. This is the horizontal pursuit for meaning through intelligence. Let me tie you into the vertical. Would you drop back with me to about chapter 8? Chapter 8. <clears throat> and we notice the second point here. God has given, God has, has wisdom beyond our understanding. Can I get an amen from uh, Lake Orion for that? God has wisdom beyond our understanding. His ways aren't our ways. His, his ways are higher than ours. Notice verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Let me just read both verses at once here. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. He says, I went at, at it so hard in this earthly endeavor, this experiment, to try to find meaning that I didn't even have time or the ability to sleep. But notice the first word of verse 17. And then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much work, uh, however much man may work in seeking, he will not find it. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it. The search left him exhausted. He couldn't turn his mind off. And can you imagine, how could you turn your mind off if you're seeking meaning through intelligence and knowledge because you're never finished, you never have it done, you never can put a period on it. As soon as you buy a piece of technology, it's outdated. And you're going to spend another three, dollars $400 or $1,000 trying to get an upgraded version only to find out when you do, it's outdated. So you can't win. And there's always more knowledge and, and understanding and wisdom that will elusively escape us. And so he says, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. That leaves us 
pretty desperate, except he said, I worked so hard at this, then I looked at the work of God. Then I looked at the work of God. I was reading an article uh, recently. It takes us back to when the Boston Celtics were playing the Chicago Bulls. And the Boston Celtics at that time had a, uh, a forward by the name of Larry Bird who could shoot the lights out. Wasn't very fast, but he's considered one of the greatest. And Chicago Bulls had a guy also who was pretty good. You remember his name? Michael Jordan, for those of you who are not Pistons fans. And so they were playing each other one night in a game. Michael Jordan dropped 63 points. 63 points. After the game, Larry Bird said, I think we played God tonight dressed up as, as Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, lost in double overtime. God doesn't lose. 63 points. And this is the folly of humanity as we seek meaning in horizontal endeavors and not recognizing that there's a vertical, not recognizing that where we're under the sun, there's somebody else above the sun, 92 million miles away. There's a transcendent God. And you want to remind Larry Bird, respectfully, Michael Jordan can drop 63 points in a game, but can he? Can he strategically place 300 sextrillion stars in all of the galaxies? Placing him there, and then it says, calling him by name. You're right. Calling him by name. 300 sextrillion. <clears throat> but that number keeps changing. God's not creating more stars. It's just we're, we're developing stronger telescopes so that we can see stars that we hadn't seen before. There's no comparison. His ways <clears throat> are beyond our ways. And so we walk through life trying to find meaning, but we're looking down, we're looking horizontally, and God is saying to us, look at my works. Look at who I am. And we will find meaning in life, not in the horizontal, but in the vertical. And I hate to spoil this for you for the, the upcoming uh, messages in this series, but it's going to take you through different from naturalism to intellectualism to materialism to nihilism, the answer is still the same. It's, you're not going to find meaning until you look up. So you look up and you see God. It was the Apostle Paul who gave us, some would argue, the most beautiful book in the Bible, the book of Romans climaxing really in the eighth chapter, great chapter on grace. For the first few chapters, he's talking about uh, the creation of man, the, the fall of man, uh, the grace of God. He's talking about justification. Uh, he's talking about sanctification. And then you get to the end of chapter 8. It's beautiful. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11 answer the question, is there a future yet? 
for Israel. And he develops that and processes that, and the short answer is yes. But he gets to the end of chapter 11 before he launches into a practical section, because many of Paul's books were divided. There was a theological section, and then there was a practical section on what you did in light of the theology you just learned. And so, but he closes with this. Almost when he gets done with chapter, uh, the, the, the question with regards to is there a future for Israel, he, he's figuring it out. God is revealing it. And he's saying, uh, <clears throat> wow. He gives us this doxology. Of, it's an exclamation. I can almost imagine him just, just dropping his pen and saying, oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways beyond tracing. Who could have ever imagined, Paul would say, that God would send his son Jesus into this world and to his own people, and his own people didn't receive him. And God used that rejection, turned it into the possibility of salvation for all of mankind, all of which he knew at the beginning of time. Who would have thought about that? Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches of God, his knowledge. And then he asked three questions. They're meant to be rhetorical, but let me ask them to you. Who has known the mind of the Lord? What would you say to that? You can answer whether you're here or whether you're at home. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Not a trick question. Nobody. Until God chooses to reveal it. Nobody knows the mind of the Lord until God chooses to reveal it. You've heard it, and you've said it perhaps to people who are going through tough times. Someday we'll know the reason for all this, right? Who knows the mind of the Lord? I had a, a friend of mine, super smart, PhD, worked in the sciences, a professor at a nearby university. We had many discussions, this goes back probably 20, 25 years ago, many discussions in my office, and we'd talk about, uh, he didn't know Jesus. But he said to me one day, he said, you know, I've discovered things in my laboratory that no other human being has ever seen. I almost wanted to say to him, you didn't discover anything. God revealed it. God reveals to the just as well as to the unjust. God revealed it. In our horizontal, horizontal uh, endeavors to try to find meaning, we argue about who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Am I the only one who says, who cares? Who cares? Because that person, whatever sport he or she is in, has a limited shelf life. I remember one basketball player saying years ago, he said, when I'm on my game, and I thought, wow, you have no idea what you're talking about. Near the end of his career, he would come out of a, a game, and you could see him lying on his stomach because of his back pain. God is great. His knowledge is insurpassable. 
beyond our understanding. And so we trusted him. Notice, um, well, that's the first rhetorical question. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Nobody until God chooses to reveal it, and he's revealed in this book. This book does not contain all the knowledge that's in the mind of God. You couldn't put that in books, in libraries. You couldn't do it. Second question. Um, who has God consulted? Or who has consulted God? Anybody? It's almost a trick question. Um, no one has consulted God because God hasn't needed it. How many of you have tried to consult God? I, more than a few times in my life. I would say, God, we've got a problem here. And I've already worked through the options. This is the best one. And it, it's invariably God would choose something different. Um, because the foolishness of man is, uh, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Who has first given to God that God is duty-bound to repay? No one. He's so far beyond us. He's so far beyond us. I want to show you the picture of uh, Sidney McLaughlin. Um, just a few weeks ago, she was attempting to become part of the U.S. Women's Olympic track and field team. She was going to be doing the 400 hurdles, and the, the races got delayed and all of this because of extreme weather. And when she did run the race and made the team, uh, she set a record being the first woman to run under 52 seconds in the 400 meters hurdles. Um, afterwards, she said, and by the way, she, when she posted this picture, she wrote those words, records come in, no, she wrote these words. She said, uh, this is a, a, the, the picture, this face is a picture of one who stands in awe of God. First woman to run under 52 seconds. <clears throat> And she says, not pointing direction to herself, but pointing direction to God. She says, I stand in awe of him. This is what she wrote after she won that. My faith has been tested all week, from bad practices to three false start delays to a meeting delay to the meet delay. But I just kept hearing God say, just focus on me, she added. It was the best race that I could have ever assembled. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect um, will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. <clears throat> Records come and go, but the glory of God is eternal. We find our meaning not in the horizontal. We find our meaning in the vertical. And what but the Apostle Paul draws our attention to, let me just read the verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and the folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God took so-called human wisdom and flipped it. God sent his son Jesus into this world in the perfect time and in the fullness of time to die. That doesn't make sense. Gods don't die. On a cross. And he brought him back to life three days later. And to them it was foolishness. Who would ever believe that? He took the wisdom of men and flipped it. That's the way, our, what, the way our God does it. It was uh, probably about four years ago, uh, in the spring of the year, I was after a, a morning service at the Troy campus, and I was in the lobby, and I, I saw a young man I recognized, but I didn't recognize the young lady with him. So I said, no, who's your friend? He said, this is Kate. And I said, great, and welcome to church, and it was the first time here, and um, so we just talked briefly. And then a few minutes, or a few hours, or a couple hours later, we met him at a, a, a pizza place where we had lunch that day and talked with him a little bit more. And then a couple of months had passed, and it was Easter Sunday morning, and I was in the lobby again after the service. And I saw them. They were all dressed up like families do at Easter and for family pictures and so forth. And um, so I saw them and I said, hey, how are you guys doing? How are you doing, Katie? And she started to cry. I thought, oh, no, I got her name wrong. And she said, uh, I said, I'm sorry, are you okay? Did I get your name wrong? She said, no, 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 no. Then she smiled and she said, today... I asked Jesus to be my Savior. It was some, probably later that year, maybe the next year, I don't recall, it was in the uh, Christmas time, um, I was able to officiate at their wedding. Just living for Jesus. I want to show you a picture of Katie now. She's, um, she made the Olympic weightlifting team, and she is... Um, just about, about an hour ago, she won a silver medal uh, in weightlifting and in doing so, setting a new American record. Uh, goes to Woodside, Troy. I don't think, I think they live in Lake, Lake Orion, but do they go to this campus? I've been away for a couple of years. I just got the text this morning as I'm sitting here that she won the silver. But I can tell you that silver means nothing if there's no vertical relationship. If there wasn't an Easter a couple of years ago that defines the horizontal, that metal is another metal in a search for more metals. And it, it provides enjoyment. It's the capstone on a lot of work, but it doesn't provide meaning. I don't know what journey you're on. I, I suspect most of you have already discovered that meaning can only come through the vertical relationship, that there is one above the sun. 
But if you're on one of those journeys, whatever horizontal your journey you're on, whatever name you call it, the end is the same. It's just empty. Striving, trying to catch the wind. That we desperately need Jesus. I've got another story I wanted to tell, but I've got 17 seconds and I can't do it. So come back for next service. Let me encourage you, though, to um, find your hope and trust in the only one that can give meaning to this life and the next. Whatever horizontal journey you take, that philosophy of life has to, to pass the acid test. What's the acid test? Chapter 9 tells us it's death. If your philosophy of life cannot handle the death experience, that philosophy of life is not worth living. It's only found in Jesus. Give your heart and life to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the experiments of a, a man who couldn't catch the wind. Father, I'm thankful for the, the conclusion. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Father, I thank you that for many of us, we have found meaning in Jesus. But Father, for those who have not, Lord, I pray that uh, today would be the beginning. Would be a stake in the ground as they give their heart and life to Jesus as Katie did a couple of years ago. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.